Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series today, Living the Truth, with a message titled, The Treatment of Elders. So turning your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 to 20, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. I'm reading 1 Timothy 5, 17 to 20. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder, except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. Now, it's clear that the passage before us deals with the treatment of elders or pastors. Essentially, we're talking about payment or the wage of an elder. Then we're going to be talking about the conduct of an elder. And for all those who have never served as a pastor, let me explain a bit what it's like. You know, there were years when my salary was the subject of a congregational meeting, and I don't remember any time when someone argued that I was making too much. But I do remember people arguing that I was making too little, and then others, you know, countering, well, do you really think we should pay him more? You know, those days in most churches are gone now, thankfully, but I do remember it was humiliating. I do remember once having purchased a 15-year-old Mercedes-Benz diesel. I mean, I got it very cheap. I could afford it. But very soon, I heard the rumors. How much are we paying him? Did you know he drives a Mercedes-Benz? You know, later, out of frustration, I simply sold it, brought a brand new Japanese car for much more than that Mercedes-Benz was worth, and then all the criticism ended. But this is not the only place where most pastors find themselves, you know, in a fishbowl. You know, the behavior of their family is sometimes the subject of discussion, and most certainly, their own behavior is carefully being observed at all times. And then finally, the decisions they make and the influence they use, it's often dissected. Now, in all of this, I don't want to give you the impression that I'm playing the role of a martyr. And I can't imagine a more privileged life than the life of someone called upon to preach God's word and also to give leadership to a local body of believers. It's an honor, you know, greater than I could have imagined. But still, you know, in the latter part of 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul is talking about the treatment of elders or pastors, the men who are called upon to teach and to preach, as well as give leadership. And before we dive right in, let me suggest that all elders have a responsibility, first and foremost, not to the people, but to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church. They must, if they lead well, lead in obedience to the word and not waver. It was U.S. President Harry Truman who once commented on the importance of polls in leadership. He said, I wonder how far Moses would have gone if they'd taken a poll in Egypt. What would Jesus Christ have preached if he'd taken a poll in Israel? Where would the Reformation have gone if Martin Luther had taken a poll? It isn't the polls or public opinion of the moment that counts. It's right and wrong and leadership, men with fortitude, honesty, and a belief in the right that makes epochs in the history of the world. See, what President Truman believed was that there was a higher calling of a leader that transcended popularity. That higher calling meant standing for the right. And we live in a day when effective leadership is both longed for and yet much maligned. I mean, think about how schizophrenic we have become. 
We condemn leaders for refusing to listen to the people, and yet we also condemn them for governing according to the polls. We want leaders to be strong, yet we fear they have too much power. News programs with titles like Keeping Them Honest reflect that we really don't believe political leaders at all or business leaders or civic leaders. We need to keep them honest. And so we have to approach them with mistrust and carefully scrutinize and criticize and fully dissect everything they have to say. And only after an expose will we ever learn the truth. And while we say this, We also listen to a group of postmodern philosophers who confidently tell us, well, there is no such thing as truth. We live, they say, in a post-truth era, and all we can ever talk about is my truth or your truth. Well, if that's true, why are we arguing with the politicians? Well, sadly, this cultural attitude has found its way into the church. I don't have any particular church in mind when I say this, and furthermore, I'm joyful because of the many churches that remain committed to scriptures and to the truth. I am rather speaking about it in a more generalized sense, and because of this, many churches are both unsure about what they want in leadership, but therefore also unsure about whether they want the kind of leadership that they have. In short, they're not sure what they want. It vacillates. I once had a conversation with a lay leader in a local church who had just fired their pastor. I asked why, and he said, well, no particular reason. We just thought we needed to go in a new direction. Oh, my. You know, 1 Timothy is often viewed as the most comprehensive book in the Bible regarding church leadership and church government. We've already discussed elders in chapter 3, where we talked both about the calling to eldership and the qualifications required in order to be an elder. And since some of the elders in Ephesus were unqualified and had taught false doctrines and had brought disunity, I mean, these subjects about how to treat leaders were vitally important for that church. Because the church had trouble with elders, it might have had a cynical view that had begun among people regarding the very office of an elder. And so Paul wants to speak about the proper relationship of the church to their elders, or what I call in this study, the treatment or the care that a congregation should provide for their leaders. And so let's begin by examining verse 17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And before we deal with the matter of what Paul means by double honor, let's deal with the last part of the verse, shall we? Especially, says Paul, for those elders who labor in preaching and teaching. You know, at first reading of that, that would seem to indicate that, you know, not all elders are preaching and teaching. And there are some denominations because of this very verse who understand that there are two kinds of elders. First, there are elders who govern, and then secondly, there are elders who preach and teach. And so they think of two different boards of elders, those who teach and those who give leadership and provide for administration and so forth. You know, essentially, the governing elders are what other churches call a church board or church council or even a board of trustees. Now, I know that here I can very easily get into trouble. I mean, once I step over the line into church polity, I'm sure I'm going to get letters from people who just don't agree. And so I'm not going to be dogmatic on how your local church should be structured. You know, it is important for there to be some form of lay leadership in a local church, a lay leadership that does everything from, you know, dealing with a budget to church discipline. It's essential. But I will give you my best understanding of this text. We do notice that some elders, as Paul says, are especially involved in preaching and teaching. And the Greek word that's translated as especially 
can also mean chiefly or particularly. That is, Paul acknowledges that there are some elders whose essential task is preaching and teaching, but he's not arguing that the other elders don't preach and teach. And we do know from 1 Timothy 3, verse 2, that every elder is to be able to teach. This was one of the qualifications for an elder. And so I would also assume then that every elder is teaching at some level. I know of churches who have lay elders and require every elder either to lead a Bible study group or a discipleship class for new believers. They're involved in a catechism or instructing people on the basics of the faith. See, from the biblical perspectives, all elders know the Word of God well enough so that they're constantly in the place of instructing others in the Word of God. Now, when Paul wrote the book of Titus, you know, he gives very similar instructions as to the kind of qualifications all elders or all overseers must have. And so here I'm reading Titus chapter 1, verse 9, similar to 1 Timothy chapter 3, where Paul says, He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. And so the idea of a non-teaching elder, well, it's just not found in the scripture. You know, however, some elders are given the role of being the principal preacher or teacher. And might I add, that was and has been the history of our movement. Whether we're speaking about the apostles in Acts chapter 2 who say, look, we must give ourselves to prayer in the ministry of the word, or some of the great preachers in history, or to local churches today. You know, we all have a designated main preacher who weekly instructs the congregation from the text of scripture. The history of the Christian church is a history of designating someone who's the principal preacher in every local congregation. And so I think the model that Paul's putting forward is the model of a group of elders who oversee a local church. All of them preach and teach, but some, sometimes even one, has a principal task of preaching and teaching. And that's what I think we're reading in 1 Timothy 5.17. Momentum continues to pick up as friends look to travel with us on our 2022 Israel experience. Join us in this Holy Land adventure from April 24th to May 2nd, 2022 with Bible teacher Dr. John Newfeld, Latha Gaines, Phil Calloway, special musical guest Laura Hastings, and the Back to the Bible Canada ministry team. Tour the Holy Land, walk where Jesus, Paul, David walk, sail the Sea of Galilee, visit the Jordan River, the Garden of Gethsemane, David's royal palace, and experience communion together at the Garden Tomb. A traveler from our last experience shared, the trip was overwhelmingly wonderful, the trip of a lifetime. The full Israel Experience itinerary is available online, and to ensure an intimate vacation experience, numbers are limited, so register soon. For more information, call 1-800-663-2425 or visit our events page at backtothebible.ca. I notice that 1 Timothy 5.17 begins by asking for a judgment. Paul wants Timothy to notice the elders who rule well, and by now, Timothy should have been quite aware of what makes a good elder. Paul had given him both the qualifications of an elder along with the elder's principal tasks. 
But he also wants Timothy to know that the exceptional leader, especially the one entrusted to the principal task as the preacher and teacher, is the one that's worthy of double honor. So our task here is to discover what Paul meant by double honor. Now, if we go ahead to chapter 6, verse 1, Paul will say there that slaves are to treat their masters as worthy of all honor. And that would mean that they should be respected and not treated with contempt. We'll talk about that later. And if we go back to chapter 5, verse 3, there Timothy was called to honor widows who are truly widows. So again, the word honor. So in that sense, it did mean that she was to receive financial support if that was necessary, but it also meant that the widow's children and grandchildren committed themselves to supporting her and to provide her as her honor deserves. And so it seems that the word honor is used in other places in this book, but what does it mean here? Well, it could mean that the preaching pastor is to be respected and not denigrated, and if that's what Paul intended, well, we would see that this is in keeping with what we find in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 7. There we read, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. That is, when an elder or pastor is a good one, the congregation is to remember to pray diligently for him and is also encouraged to see the way he lives his life as a role model for all to follow. And we might go ahead and think about Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. In short, don't make their lives harsh by criticizing and demeaning them. Rather, make their lives sweet by submitting to them. And you'd submit, especially if the leader is biblical and is living according to the principles that Paul lays out in this passage. And so at the outset, when we hear Paul telling Timothy and then the congregation at Ephesus to give double honor to the preaching pastor, he does mean that the attitude of the congregation is to be exactly that. But here I pause because although I am sure that Paul means exactly that, but he also means so much more. Let's go on to verse 18. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his wages. So Paul's using the word honor and he has in mind here that the preaching pastor is paid well. We notice here that Paul quotes two passages, the first from the Old Testament. It comes from Deuteronomy 19 verse 15, in which one is to make sure that the ox who worked for their owners were not to be muzzled. That is, the ox that helps bring in the food supply is not to be kept from having a part of that food supply. Now, if that's what God says about oxen, how much more so with those his servants whose task it is to study the word of God full time and then to teach God's people to eat holy food? You know, if oxen are fed, shouldn't you feed pastors? The second quote, and this is surprising because it comes from Luke 10 verse 7. And I know this is taking us way off the point, and we're probably doing a rabbit trail, but I need to stop here. Did you notice, and I hope you did, that Paul started verse 18 with the words, the Scripture says. The words inspired by the Holy Spirit say, those words that were written by the pens of men, but came from the mouth of God, that Scripture says. And then what does the Scripture say? Well, first, he quotes from Deuteronomy, and then he quotes from Luke's Gospel. Now, remember, We've said that 1 Timothy is written around AD 63, and Luke, well, he was for some time Paul's fellow worker who was writing a gospel of the life of Christ, and Luke might have finished that book 
about three years earlier. Now, pardon my use of an old phrase, but you know, the ink had not long dried from Luke's document. And already, three years later, Paul is calling that document Holy Scripture to be placed right alongside of the book of Deuteronomy as one of those books that are holy writ. See, I make mention of this because of those who constantly say, well, now, you know, the New Testament books were only called Scripture hundreds of years later. But here, In 1 Timothy, we can see that immediately the apostles and the church as a whole recognized the book of Luke as sacred scripture a mere three years after it was written. I mean, sorry for that rabbit trail. It needed to be said. Now, let's get back to paying of the pastor. According to Luke 10, verse 7, when Jesus sent out the 72, he sent them out to preach, and then he said they were to take no money bags along, but depend on the people to whom they were ministering. For he said, the laborer is worthy of his wages. And says Paul, since none other than Jesus said it, it must then be true that this same principle applies to the overseer of the local church who gives his full-time work to preaching the word of God. And that brings us back to the matter of the question of what Paul meant when he said in verse 17 that the elder is to receive double honor. Now, some, seeing that verse 18 begins with the word for or so, or that leads to a conclusion. Pay your pastor well. Give him a double honor. Honor him monetarily in a way that reflects how important you think it is to have someone who labors to make the scripture plain to everyone. Now, of course, on this point, we all know that around this matter of the payment of pastors, we have seen two extremes. On the one hand, I have heard one man praying in this way. He said, Lord, you keep them humble. We're going to keep them poor. (laughs) But as you know, there is another extreme. And that extreme has to do with, you know, paying the pastor so over the top that he becomes an exceedingly wealthy man. I mean, obviously, wisdom is required here. You know, I remember years ago, I was presented at the beginning of a year with my salary, and I was stunned. It was way more than I had anticipated. And I said, gentlemen, I don't know how to respond. It puts me in an income bracket. I'm not sure I know how to handle. And one of the men in the room there with a very gruff voice barked out at me, and he said, if you feel that way, perhaps you need to deal with this increase with a massive increase in your giving. Now, I was giving 10%, but I came to recognize that this was God's word for me, and it was a wonderful lesson. Now, some might feel uncomfortable with this kind of language. I mean, after all, if pastors are paid well, won't it lead to abuse? Well, it might. But as we all know, that's not the only temptation of a pastor. Another temptation is sloth. You can work extremely hard in the ministry, or you can be lazy as well. You know, another danger is sensuality using the position of a pastor to gain entrance into the lives of people of the opposite sex. And still another danger is the abuse of power. Still another on the opposite end is the attempting to be a people pleaser, which does lead to sin. There are many ways that sin can overcome a pastor. And that's where verses 19 to 20 come in, verses that we'll pick up tomorrow. But let's begin with those verses today. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. So I hope you can see that these verses are put here both to protect the pastor, but not to shield the pastor from the consequences of his sin. And as we know, elders, like everyone else, are fallen human beings. They are not perfect. They are sinners, and they do sin, and more so. 
in extreme situation because of their call to lead, elders can also lead people astray. And this is the terrible power that they have. In fact, Paul knew that when he spoke to the elders in Ephesus many years earlier. You might remember Acts 20, 29 to 30. He said, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. See, it simply isn't reasonable to have a system of leadership without checks and balances. It's desperately needed. It simply isn't reasonable to call a man to be an elder and then to give him the impression that he's above discipline, for surely he is not. James said that we who teach the word will be judged with greater strictness. It comes with the calling. You see, the pastoral life should cause everyone who serves in pastoral ministry to have both protection from false charges and also a greater calling to abandon the sins that would qualify him from the ministry. And that's what Paul is getting at here. If the congregation is to care for their elders, they're going to want to make sure that they're blessing him sufficiently, but they're also going to make sure that when he does his ministry, he's doing so in holiness, not in sensuality or any other sin. John, thanks so much. Now, let me ask you maybe a sensitive question. What we ought to pay those in ministry or or pastors can be a challenging subject, I think, often resulting in extremes. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I I think that, uh, you know, for um, uh, leaders in local churches that have to prepare a salary structure for pastors, I mean, ultimately, you have to settle on a number somewhere. And, um, and, and I do think um, you know, some of the things that we need to consider are just, you know, the training, the length of uh, service, um, you know, the value of the work, all that kind of thing. But, you know, I think we pay a pastor to be commensurate with somebody who is uh, in uh, some kind of service that looks somehow equal to what a pastor does. So, you know, uh, if you pastor a large church, you know, might want to receive a greater salary. But, you know, I, as I've said, when you receive a greater salary, um, I think there is an obligation for the pastor who receives the greater salary then to give more, and that's what I've said. So, uh, yeah, pay your pastor well. Encourage your pastor to be faithful with the money he has. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, Living the Truth, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. Talk about heaven and hell has been forgotten in the present hour. For this reason, current evangelicalism sounds so very different from the kind of faith we find in the pages of the New Testament. In his preaching, Jesus depicted a roadway leading to either heaven or hell. The broad road leads to destruction. The narrow path leads to life. These are words written by Dr. John Neufeld in his newest book, Heaven and Hell. What could be as important as understanding the truth behind the reality of heaven and hell? Choose to request this new book today as our free gift for the month of November only. Call us now at 1-800-663-2425 or visit us online at backtothebible.ca. And while you're there, consider offering a financial gift to support Bible teaching you can trust in important Bible teaching resources 
like heaven and hell.